everybody, welcome back for a kind of special episode of the So We Speak podcast, coming at you on a Friday. Um, I thought while I'm here in Louisville, and I've got uh, a couple of New Testament scholars, Coy and Jarrett, with me, I thought one of the things that we're really passionate about on the podcast, and we do time to time, whether it's through our book overviews or uh, a lot of the posts that we've published about how to read certain genres or um, ways to interpret difficult texts, we're really convinced that you can't engage culture, you can't think Christianly about the world unless you're regularly reading your Bible. And uh, growing in the ability to read the Bible is something that we want to spend a lot of time equipping people to do. So, like I said, I've got two New Testament scholars here and wanted to ask you guys a few questions about both reading the Bible and then studying the Bible. So the, the first one I would say is being in a, in a Ph.D. program for New Testament probably gets a bad rap sometimes. I know that when you're not in the academy, sometimes you can assume that the academy actually is worse for your faith than better. And, and there's an anti-intellectual bias sometimes towards people who are getting degrees. My experience has not been that, and I don't think it's been that way for you guys either. I think education actually serves the church, serves uh, the person who's sitting at home reading their Bible in ways that maybe are not obvious. Um, so how has the way that you have changed, re- how has the way you read your Bible changed in the last five or six years of study? So that's a great question, Cole. And in some ways it's changed a lot, but in a lot of ways it honestly hasn't changed a ton. And what I mean by that is I feel like I've been able to grow in my sensitivity to more subtle things that are going on in the Bible. So, for example, I think I've grown in my appreciation for how the whole Bible is connected. Before I came to Southern, I think I knew that the New Testament authors would quote from the Old Testament and talk about specific places and people, and I recognized that that was important. But I think I've realized over time just how deeply the New Testament authors were reading the Old Testament and how the Old Testament influences almost everything that they write. And so that's really reinforced for me the importance of just trying to know my Bible. And I feel like the better I know my Bible over time, the better of a Bible reader I become. Mm-hmm. So I have a bunch, but I'll just say two. So number one, um, one of the things being at seminary has taught me to do is pay attention to the flow of thought, say mm-hmm. in epistolary literature. And, um And I'll unpack that in a second. And number two, learning how to read narratives. Mm -hmm. So reading the Gospels was an enigma to me before I came to seminary. And just to illustrate the difference, 1 Corinthians 5 or 15 clearly makes the resurrection important because Paul says it is, right? He Mm -hmm. just explicitly says it's important. Right. All right. That's how it comes out in epistolary literature. Whereas in narrative, you're not going to find Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John say, the resurrection's important, guys. Mm-hmm. They show that it's important by putting it at the climax of the story. And that's a little bit different. So those are the two things. Paying attention to the flow of thought primarily in epistolary literature. And then learning how to read narratives against the backdrop of you know good story reading and stuff like that have been two really, mm-hmm. really important things for me. Yeah, one of the things that you quickly encounter when you start to do uh, education in Bible and theology and anything is the difference in genres in the Bible, um, whether that's in the New Testament, which the two two or three, basically, you've got narrative, 
you've got epistles, you've got whatever you want to call revelation, so kind of apocalyptic. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, prophetic. Uh, but then in the Old Testament, even more. You have poetry, you have wisdom literature, you have a lot of narrative, uh, you have censuses. I mean, you've got a lot of different stuff going on in the Old <laughs> how Testament. Yeah, how do you read those? Um, I still don't know. Yeah, so uh, what do you think is the most important when you're coming to uh, something like narrative as opposed to an epistle, or if you're coming to poetry in the Old Testament? What are some things that are, that are helpful to keep in mind as you're reading different sorts of literature in the Bible? So narrative, I think, is the one that most people get wrong. I did, mm-hmm. um, and this is why. So they'll take an episode like Jesus walking on water. They'll read the episode. They see it as describing historical facts, which it totally is. But then they look up from the text and say, okay, Jesus is walking on water because he's God. They try to reason yeah away from the text, Mm -hmm. treating the text as if it's not giving you that interpretation on its own. Yeah. So the the, the hazard is like reading the Bible like Aesop's fables. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Peter got out of the boat and walked to Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you too can walk on water. How are you going to walk on water today? Yeah. That's that's simplistic, but that's an easy way to read narrative. I'm not sure that's what the Gospels are doing. Yeah. I think the Gospels are trying to give their own opinion about why the walking on water is significant. And all the opinions are compatible with one another, but each of the Gospels has their kind of own unique picture they want to present of Jesus and theological point they want to draw out. So again, I want to reiterate that they're all compatible, Mm -hmm. but they're nuances of one another. So that'd probably be the biggest thing is, and we can talk about how to do this in a second, but look to the text for those answers. Don't you know, lift up your eyes from the text and try to think on your own, okay, why is this little episode significant, the feeding of the 5,000 or Zacchaeus or whatever? Look to how Luke is trying to communicate or look to what Luke is trying to communicate is the significance of those episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the principles that you learn about reading any book are really relevant for reading the Bible as well. Now, I'm actually going to come back and say the opposite of that in a second. But, you See, know... This is the kind of scholarly ability that you've obtained. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold both of these Wish things is true I can contradict myself in yeah. only a few seconds. Yeah. He's got really strong intellectual biceps. Yeah. <laughs> so, when it comes to reading the Bible like any book, if you're reading a narrative, you're going to be looking for things like character development, You're going to be looking for things like the climax of the story, and you're going to be looking for things like foreshadowing, or maybe Mm -hmm. how the author references back to earlier events in the narrative later in it. And I think those principles still apply when you're reading the New Testament. But on the other hand, one thing I really wanted to emphasize is that the Bible is God's word. And so that means that your posture when reading it really matters as well. I think it's important to read the Bible in a worshipful way. And believe it or not, that's actually something that I've learned through my time at Southern, just how important it is to remember that the Bible is a spiritual book. It's God's word, and that means you should read it with worship and Mm -hmm. prayer. And that's really an essential part of reading the Bible correctly. Yeah, I think you see this in seminary, and it's tragic, is what used to be a vibrant, worshipful, prayerful study of Scripture turns into like a cadaver lab. And you're basically just (laughs) studying it like any other subject, and uh, that's not what you do with the Bible. Even if you're going to approach it from a scholarly standpoint, uh, 
continuing to remind yourself this this is God's word. This is this is like other books, like you said. There is a tension here. It's like other books in the way that we study it because it is literature, mm-hmm. but it is unlike any other book in that it is powerful. Is the voice of God? It is carries the authority of God when it speaks, um, and it is transforming as you read it. I mean, keeping all those things in mind, no matter what your level of education is, I think is really important. Um, let me ask you guys some rapid fire questions. Uh-oh. So, uh, favorite person who wrote a New Testament book? Who do you think you'd get along with the best? Ooh, get along with? That's a hard question because yeah. I'm like, I feel like <laughs> most people's immediate answer is, "Oh, I love Paul." But would you really get along that well with Paul? <laughs> yeah, Paul's I combative. think I'd get along with Luke. Yeah, because Luke was kind of the guy who followed somebody else around. He tried to observe him carefully, and then he wrote down all the stuff that that guy did. And that just to me feels a little bit more relatable. Do you think Luke may have been like a nine or something on the Enneagram? It's really easy to get along with. Everybody likes him. Paul's totally. like Luke alone is here. He's the only guy that's stuck with me. Yeah, Paul said what he thought. That yes. Is a fact. Yes. Yeah, I really, I think I would get along. You know with the Apostle of John, and here's why. Number one, he changed from a son of thunder. Maybe when he was a son of thunder, we might butt heads a little bit. Yes. But number two, in writing the book of Revelation, one of the things I really aspire to as a writer is just the power of illusion, and he is the master of that in the New Testament. And he's the beloved disciple. He's got to be a nice guy. Yeah, I, I, I just love the fact that John, his transition from a son of thunder to the Apostle of love, um, the disciple that Jesus loved, yeah, I think John would be hard to beat. Luke, I haven't even thought about that, but that's a that's a good way to go. Point. About it. Um, Leaves a coy to do. Yeah, Paul. Things. I feel like Paul would be really fun to have dinner with, uh, but to be on the road with him every day, as we can tell, there's some collateral damage that comes with that. You're going to get <laughs> All they did was argue. Yeah. Sent John Mark home packing, you know, without <laughs> even a thought about his feelings. Um, you know, he rebuked Peter. He doesn't have a lot of respect for uh, history or authority. Yeah, that's uh, right. But obviously, he's one of the most amazing people that's ever lived. But person yeah. to person, that could be rough. Yeah, um, I've always thought about that comment in the book of Acts that everybody didn't even dare to go near the apostles. Yes. You know, like there was something, they were a unique group, spirit-empowered. These miracles were happening around those guys. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like I've always understood that passage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's right. Paul, you know, people are just touching hankies that have touched them. I mean, it's just... Yeah. So, uh, favorite New Testament book to study? I think I would say Matthew. I mean, I'm actually not doing my research primarily on Matthew, but Matthew presents this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew, and I think that there's just incredible depth to that work. I would say Hebrews. Mm. I think it's a really misunderstood book. Yeah, I think so too. And once I finally, in my opinion, got what the book was saying, I think it's a really powerful and needed message. I just love everything about that book. The theology in it, the priestly work of Christ is one of the things that it focuses on. It's one of the unique places in the New Testament that's focused on in that way. And also just the way the author writes, again, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He's probably considered one of the better writers in the New Testament. Yeah, Keep, Keeping all of our uh, doctrines of inerrancy intact, least favorite book to study in the New Testament. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's a tough question. You know, it's funny because to a certain extent, Romans and Galatians hits that chord for me. Because the seminary ruined Galatians for me for about three years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, talk about like, you know, we're trying to figure out places that we can write on, and Romans and Galatians are like your favorites going in, but they're 
been the favorites of the church for 2,000 years, so the earth yeah. is how we say scorched, you know, yeah. academically. Yeah. So maybe those two. And just to be blunt, people are saying crazy stuff about Romans and Galatians yes. all the time. And so if you get into that study in an in-depth academic way, you have to interact with all the crazy stuff mm-hmm. that's been written. Makes you grateful for those that came before that cleared out the trash for you, and now we have to do yeah. it. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's yes. exactly right. Absolutely. Um, who, who are the scholars, we'll get to books in a second, but scholars who their body of work has been the most influential and helpful for you? Well, this is obvious, but I would really commend the work of our supervisor, Thomas Schreiner. He writes at a scholarly level. He also writes at a more popular level, and his works are really accessible. He was a pastor for years, and so he really writes with a heart for the church. So he's one person that immediately jumps out. Yeah, obviously I'd say Schreiner for a lot of reasons. I hold a lot of his views, not just because he's my advisor, but because he's persuasive. And then the tips that I was giving about focusing on the context and keeping your nose in the text for me at least, really come from him. And then I would say two people kind of that aren't in our circles very much, but Simon Gathercole has written a number of things that are highly influential on me. For those of you that don't know, he's a scholar that uh, works at Cambridge. And then I would say N.T. Wright. I mean, there are a lot of ways that I would say that I disagree with him, but there are a lot of specific explanations of texts and just thinking about Paul in general that he's been heavily influential influential Mm -hmm. on me. What books... Have you read that? Uh, maybe like a short list, three to five. Yeah, books. so we could we we could probably list dozens, but yeah, that is a great question. So where is boasting? Is I think Simon Gathercole's dissertation, and so he's coming in the wake of a guy named E. P. Sanders who wrote back in the seventies and kind of changed the way Pauline studies has been done over the past fifty years. And I think Simon Gathercole affirms what is good about the perspective that came out of E. P. Sanders and critiques well what is not good mm-hmm. and then um right stuff so like i remember i think it was michael bird said that reading jesus and the victory of god it's one of Wright's books it's his it's his basically history of jesus mm-hmm. was like getting removed from the matrix yeah and i would say that my experience of that book was maybe not that extreme but something <laughs> like it yeah uh so that those would be two heavily influential books and then um, I would say reading the gospel, reading the gospels wisely by Dr. Pennington, who is a professor here, because when you read a New Testament intro, most of what we get is just what are the arguments that have happened in scholarly circles in New Testament? What are the answers to those arguments? What are the where are the places that these letters, um, Pauline letters, are written to, and so on? It's just like a bag of facts, which is good. It has its place. But what Dr. Pennington does is basically say, "Here's how you read the Gospels wisely." Hence the mm-hmm. name. And so a lot of the stuff that Coy and I are talking about in terms of plot, character development, I learned. I know other people learned it from elsewhere, but I learned from him. Mm-hmm. So those would probably be, if I were just to come up with a list off the top of my head, um, the ones that I would recommend. Yeah, I've got a few recommendations, and I'll start with one that's a little bit more academic, Paul and the Gift by John Barclay. I think that's just a really incredible book focused on the subject of grace in Paul. It's a little bit more academic, and it's pretty long, but it's a great read. And then I would say the book Paul and the Law by Brian Rosner. It's an in-depth treatment about how the Apostle Paul thinks about the Jewish law, which is a really interesting question. I think every Christian has asked the question 
did the Ten Commandments still apply to me? Yes. And he gets into that question and a lot more in that book, and it's really helpful. And then a little bit of an older book, I would recommend The Cross of Christ by John Stott, which mm-hmm. is a classic work on the atonement, which is very powerful theologically, but it's also very powerful devotionally mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, for somebody who comes to you and says, I just am not getting anything from my Bible readings, what would you what what advice do you give that person? Well, I would tell that person you're not alone. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're a Christian, it probably won't be the last time you say that in your life. But there is hope for things to get better in your Bible reading because the Holy Spirit really does work in the Christian mm-hmm. life that calls us to love God's Word more. And so I would encourage that person to press through. I would encourage them to keep reading keep praying. And then I would also encourage them to maybe try to get another person to come alongside them and encourage them and maybe read the Bible with them so they can glean from that person's insights and maybe grab a good resource, which can help be a guide through that passage of scripture to try to rejuvenate your scripture Mm -hmm. reading. Yeah, I would try to assess what does it mean for you that you're not getting anything out of it? Mm -hmm. And then what is your Bible reading plan? Is it like just you know, numbers or just Leviticus, um, right. you know, what are you reading? And then are you expecting to get warm fuzzies all the time? Like, what does it mean for you to get something from it? And depending on their answer, and I'm going to take Cole's uh, thunder here, you know, if, if the way you're reading the Bible isn't working, change the way you read the Bible. So yeah. to be specific here, I think it's important for even laymen to learn some of the skills, obviously not all of them, but some of the skills that we've learned, because it's like, you know, say you start reading an instruction manual thinking that it's a novel. You're not going to like that very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you got to learn how to read something and what that something is really before you can enjoy it. You might I mean, not yeah, ever get enjoyment I've, out of instruction. I've gotten lost in the plot of those IKEA. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I've gotten lost in them. Trying to put a dresser together. Lost in the plot. Those things are great. So that's what I'd say is learn some skills. Like you, part of enjoying something, which is what I think most people mean when they say they want to get something out of it, enjoying it, and learning to enjoy God through doing it, involves becoming skilled at that thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think growing in your knowledge and growing in your love for something don't always go together, but I think when it comes to the Bible, they, they definitely Yeah, definitely do. in the Bible's yeah, case. I think that's right. And just to throw one more thing out, I've heard over the years people mean, like what Jarrett said, mean by I'm not getting anything out of my Bible reading, that I'm not learning anything new. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard them mean it in the sense of it's not really making me feel feel anything different. And so I think Jared's absolutely right. You have to assess what do you mean when you say you're not getting anything out of it. And I think that the Bible speaks to both our heads and our hearts. And I do think all Christians do have to ask the question, what do we do when we don't feel like we're learning anything new? Or what do we do when Mm -hmm. we feel like our hearts are cold to God's word? Yeah. I'll I'll say one more thing. So get into the big story of the Bible. So something called biblical theology, which you think biblical theology is just theology that's biblical. But when you hear that buzzword, all it means is they're trying to get at the big story of Scripture past God, man, Christ response. So another book I would recommend is God's Kingdom Through God's Covenant. It's kind of the whittled down version of the big kingdom through covenant. Because when you're reading in the Old Testament, it's helpful to know when you drop in to say Isaiah where you're at within the plot structure of Scripture. And you will get a lot more satisfaction out of reading some of these obscure things in Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah or the Minor Prophets or whatever. 
if you know, okay, this is what he's doing within the story of Israel and moving towards Christ. So get to know the big story, and that's the specific book I would recommend mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any, any last uh, recommendations? Somebody that's trying to move beyond just reading their Bible, maybe on a plan or something, any, any further recommendation? I would say a lot of plans are like little pieces of old, little pieces of the new. Part of doing what Koi and I are recommending requires that you read big swaths of individual books at one time. So part of what changed things for me with Hebrews is reading it through all the way in a short sitting, maybe one or two days. So that would be a specific recommendation is lots of people do these plans where it chops things up. And sometimes it doesn't chop them in those helpful places. It just chops them based on verse number. Take one book and read it through over the course of a week. Maybe read it through multiple times during that week. And I think you intuitively get a sense of what is this author's argument without us having to tell you the nitty gritty of how to get it out of there. What What is this author's plot structure in the Gospels? without us saying, okay, you have to analyze character and plot and rising action and falling action. I think you'll just intuitively get that. So read one text over and over Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And just to add in a couple resources, I think study Bibles are great. The ESV has a great study Bible. The NIV has a great study Bible. The CSB has a great study Bible. There are a lot of good options. And I think you can also grab a good, accessible commentary to walk you through some books of the Bible. But then also, contrary to popular belief, YouTube is not just for videos of cats <laughs> and other things like that. And I would recommend The Bible Project, yeah. which yeah, Bible makes Project great videos. videos. Yeah. If you feel like you're really struggling to understand a book, especially a book of the Old Testament, then I would recommend watching The Bible Project video for that book. And they do a great job explaining how the whole story fits together where it fits into the whole story of the Bible, and they visually represent all of it, which can be a breakthrough moment mm-hmm. for a lot of us who are more visual learners. Yeah. yeah. Guys, thanks for the advice. Thanks for coming on the So We Speak podcast. Yep. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, Email us. Tell us what you like about it. Tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.